0: Welcome to the Synapse Nips podcast, where we explore the power of health and healing. On this podcast, we will be talking with health experts, professionals, and leaders about hot topics in the world of health. Whether it's tools to help you flourish, successful stories to inspire, or tips to optimize your health, Synapse Nips is here to help you take the first steps towards living your best life.
1: Here once again. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about vaccine injury and COVID complications. That's uh, two of the things that we're seeing quite a bit of right now. Mm-hmm. And we're in the middle of the COVID season, uh, kind of a flare here. We're actually seeing quite a bit more COVID this year than we did last year, as far as uh, inside our clinic. Uh, by a long shot. By a long shot, quite a bit more. And so, we're not 100% sure as to. There's many mechanisms as far as what may have set that off. But uh, for us, this has been a very busy COVID season. Mm -hmm. Uh, We've also been asked by local uh, doctors to start to work with their vaccine uh, injured patients. So I just wanted to talk about that a little bit and uh, give people a little heads up so that they know what's happening out there. Uh, Even trying to get ahead of it a little bit. We'll discuss that as well because I'm a huge believer we're all huge believer here as far as just being proactive with our health uh, and that when we do that regardless of what situation you're in that's when you're going to reap the rewards that's when there's going to be benefit and there's there's less severe consequences when you have a little foresight and taking care of yourself so let's just start with an easy topic of vaccine injury well let me say something yeah let me say
2: something that you triggered in my head yeah i have a lot of my own patients and uh, you know even Non patients that we're, that we're seeing with COVID right now. One thing that I stress for the people that have COVID, because we do a lot of natural immune supporting through COVID is I keep people on that stuff several weeks after. Yeah. And I can't fully prove this, but my thought is if you're continuing to regulate inflammation, immune function post COVID, the likelihood of these post COVID complications we're going to talk about, it's probably going to be less. I would, I would. Say that's a good bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, just a bet at this point. Yes. Yes, but I'm willing to bet that that's probably
1: right. Yeah, that that right there is high reward, low risk. Totally. Yeah, so why not do it?
2: Yeah, what's the downside of taking more fish oil and turmeric after COVID? Yeah, well, probably not
1: very much. Bad mm-hmm. breath. Well, <laughs> I don't that's get that close it. to you anyway. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um uh, let's start with... um a little bit around the vaccine injuries. Um, I have been uh, consulting with uh, people quite a few over the week. And I want to say this, a lot of what we're seeing with the vaccine injuries, we're also seeing with COVID and COVID complications. So people need to know that. And specifically with the um, mRNA vaccines, uh, there's there's some scenarios there that can uh, really... Well, actually both vaccines, to be honest, as far as just how uh, COVID could affect us if it breaches our barrier, which again, that's a, whole, that's a whole other conversation, but people who have complications due to COVID, we know that there's stuff that can be done ahead of time prophylactically. It's just, you can't do that. You can't uh, reverse time and go back and change it. So uh, what we're seeing with the vaccine injuries is very, very similar. And there's just a few nuances that come with vaccines um, as well. So... Uh, we've broken it down into five different areas. Mm-hmm. Do you want to touch base on what those areas are, and then we'll go from there? Yeah. So let me say,
2: just to piggyback a little bit off of what you're saying, I think the reason why we're seeing more of the vaccine-related injury stuff now, and I think this is important, is because of what you had said, is that we're, you're bypassing all of your protective mechanisms right away. Yeah. with a vaccine for people who are susceptible. And these five scenarios then basically get into susceptibility really more than anything, because we've seen that both with COVID and with vaccine related issues that the people that are having issues, it's hitting them where they're the weakest already. So one thing we don't have as a scenario is pre-existing issues, right? which yeah. is pretty important yeah. because <laughs> if you've come in with cardiovascular disease or you've got an infection or you've got something else. We see this with our Lyme disease patients. There's a higher susceptibility in that given area for that person. So that, that really drives these five scenarios. So the five is the cardiovascular disease and that, and really coagulation, right? Coagulation, coagulation clotting yeah, issues. Yeah.
1: Well, and to speak to your point, I had sure. a patient who was vaccine injured, uh, with a very significant clot, yeah. um, who had a genetic clotting disorder. Yeah. That, is a risk factor Mm -hmm. that is something i wish would have been discerned through to mitigate their the risk reward so with a clotting genetic clotting factor he has high risk low reward given that he was a younger gentleman Mm -hmm. and therefore that could have and should have swayed his his decision making so perfect example of know what you're coming into it with yes all right second thing um
2: interest intracellular infection this might take a little bit more explanation but i'll give it a i'll give it a, a spin and you can correct me if i miss anything so you can have infections both inside and outside of body cells right different types of infections will go into different types of cells COVID goes into different types of cells but the way that both the infection and vaccinations are working is it's trying to shut down your body's normal ability to clear infections that occur inside the cells. If the both in both of those situations for COVID, it's, you know, the virus is trying to replicate for the vaccine. It's kind of the same thing. You're trying to get your body to replicate these proteins so you can get, you know, improvement in immune response, whatever trying to do with the vaccine. But the downsides in both of those situations is if you have an infection already in those cells to begin with, you just lost all your defenses. Yeah. So we see this a lot, like I already mentioned Lyme, but Lyme and other infections that live inside of cells, we see this with Epstein-Barr virus too a lot, that those will flare up after both COVID and the vaccines because of the downregulation of that immune response.
1: Yeah. And for me, I'm going to say this will be the most common, I think, and I'm guessing here, Yeah. this is going to be the most common side effect from the vaccines mm-hmm. and long hauler COVID. Well, I was going to say, I think it's the,
2: I think the most common short term is the clotting because yes. we see a lot of that. The most common long-term ones yes. are going to be these infections and the change in immune function over time.
1: And then, and then autoimmune, uh, yeah, we'll be able to measure later. Time, yeah. So uh, all viruses, COVID including, can trigger an autoimmune response mm-hmm. in those susceptible. Same with vaccines, mm-hmm. but we won't get that information Until later. So we'll, we'll do that uh, podcast in a year and uh, (laughs) have the data. But what we do know historically is that autoimmune, um, has been a factor in increasing with each decade. And a lot of it has to do with how we're, it's our lifestyle. It's, it's our environment, Mm -hmm. our internal and external environment. So, so we can expect an increase in autoimmune from both COVID, the infection, and from the vaccine. That's
2: anything that gives an immune stimulation. Right. If the body's not ready for that immune stimulation. And this is why some people can handle the vaccine and COVID fine. Yes. And some people can't.
1: This is also why you will never win an argument on either side of any conversation with COVID or vaccine. For or against. Yeah. I mean, I don't know anyone who's for COVID, but you know what well, I mean? yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It just it won't happen because because everyone's so different and so unique That, that there's going to be consequences on either side of that. So that's this whole thing becomes a risk reward conversation for you individually. You've got to know who you are. You've Mm -hmm. got to know your own risk reward. Fox News, CNN is not going to be able to tell you your risk reward. The CDC, the NIH is not going to be going to be able to tell you your risk reward. Mm -hmm. They're going to give you some general guidelines. And some statements that might help, but they're not gonna know it for you. Yeah. This is why it's so I just
2: actually talked to somebody yesterday that has had a thyroid problem for decades. And she was never told, even though the testing was done, that it was autoimmune thyroid.
1: Yeah.
2: And it's been decades of this. She said, I have I have an autoimmune thing. And it's like, yeah, it's staring right at us, but the doctor never said anything. Knowing that about yourself, which you know we test for that all the time, yeah, is another one of these risk mitigation tools. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Anything else on immune? Well, do you want to say anything about other types of immune dysfunction, cancers, anything like that? Is that worth?
1: Yeah. So uh, here's the one of the scenarios when you lose the inability to uh, combat intracellular infection, then that changes the environment. So when you change the environment. Everything changes. The way I explain it to my patients is um, uh, I'm talking about like even just the pH. That's one thing that can change with inside a cell when you have an infection. When the pH changes, your hormones that are supposed to work inside that cell work at less efficiency. They're less efficient in general. Your immune system is more sluggish. So this may be a poor analogy, but I usually just... Use the analogy of you've got a hundred workers working in a factory and you just give them alcohol to drink galore. <laughs> what happens to production? It goes down. Yes. Usually, <laughs> unless they're from Canada, where I'm from. No, just boosting morale. Yes. Sorry, my fellow Canadians. Um, no, production goes down. Same thing happens when you have an intracellular infection, the pH changes among many other things, inflammatory response. You become less effective. The problem is when you downregulate toll-like receptors and protective mechanisms, they also protect our DNA. Mm -hmm. So that's one thing that we will unfortunately see come out of this is cancer rates from COVID and the vaccines increase when there's a downregulation of an intracellular immune system response. So it's very important for us to be focusing on this conversation of how do we stay healthy Mm -hmm. and keep healthy um, uh, inside ourselves. It's not just on the the outside And, and labs. We've got to make sure our intracellular health is, is good. Yep.
2: All right. Let's transition to the allergy, allergy part. So I'll let you field this one first.
1: Um, with, the so I'll just reiterate so far, there's five scenarios we're looking at. We're on number four. The first one was the clotting cardiovascular scenario. Second one is intracellular infection. The third one is autoimmune from the infection or environmental trigger. And fourth is allergic response. Mm -hmm. Uh, five we'll get to, which is ACE receptor locations within the body, but allergic response is more from the vaccine than it is COVID per se. And that's the one true contraindication they have put on all the labels for the vaccine is if you have anaphylaxis to an ingredient within the vaccine, you shouldn't take that. Now, this is the one we see the least um, because of uh, the fact that, uh, the, usually they usually go to the oh, ER we handle these issues. Yeah. yeah. We don't, we just don't handle those uh, very well um, or not very well. We don't, that's not, we our don't thing. have the tools. Right. That's, it's not, our, not, not, that's not our thing. <laughs> yeah. So with that though, there is other types of reactions. I'm going to put in the allergic mm-hmm. category. They're not anaphylactic. Mm-hmm. These are immune reactions in a different way. So yeah. uh, historically, when we have our immune system, our immune system does a couple things. It manages infection Uh, and inflammation. It's also like your security guards in your body. If you have a toxin, a toxin is anything your body doesn't use or doesn't know how to use. That's what we're going to identify as a toxin. So even something that's natural made like dairy can become a toxin to your body. If your body doesn't know how to use it, if it doesn't recognize it. So an allergic response is any type of immune reaction where it's going after something it does not recognize. So something that's foreign, like viruses, bacteria, and things like that, um, it can go after ingredients within the um, vaccines themselves. Now, I get, I don't want to get a bunch of emails or anything like this, mm-hmm. that that's not a true allergy. I get that. It's not an IgE-mediated allergy. I'm, I'm lumping it all together in this, uh category because it's not just black and white. There's grades of immune reaction that people forget about. Mm-hmm. And it's important because you can feel like garbage. You can have lethargy and brain fog from a low-grade immune reaction that doesn't cause anaphylaxis. Mm-hmm. And that's 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 relevant. Well, we see a lot of mast cell problems. Yes. So
2: mast cells, like the mast on a boat, those are really your surveillance cells, right? They're the guards. And this is the cell, if it gets too triggered, it's going to cause the anaphylaxis. But you can get a activation. And Actually, if it gets really bad, it's called mast cell activation syndrome. Yeah. But you can get over activation of these surveillance cells from different non-allergic stimuli. So we see that from environmental toxins. We see that with other types of viruses or pathogens or parasites or mold, stuff like that. That's a known issue, especially post-COVID, one of the drivers potentially of symptoms is the inability to regulate that part of the immune system. This is why we use mast cell stabilizers like quercetin and luteolin and and some of these other things. I know pharmaceutically there are options too. We stick with the natural stuff. But I've had patients where we've had to do both options because it's so aggressive where we have to do both the natural support and temporarily they have to get you know, pharmaceuticals from a source in order to get over the hump.
1: Yeah. And, and to that point, um, getting COVID and or the vaccine can induce a mast cell, uh, scenario mm-hmm. for those that are susceptible again. So, yeah. uh, and mast cells release histamine and we will do an entire show that's just on mast cell yeah. and multiple chemical sensitivity. Uh, that's a whole topic by itself, but it's important to know, uh, that that's a possibility. So let's just, briefly touch base on some of the symptoms someone might have with early mast cell or even just histamine uh, release because yeah. uh, there's the, we'll go into it histamine is used with the mast cells it's also used as a neurotransmitter there's a lot of different functions in the body so you can actually have some clues if there's a potential mast cell disorder yeah. so what do you see would be an early on type symptom or scenario that someone might have.
2: Yeah. So I actually ask this of a lot of people and there are different body systems. So you can get congestion, which is kind of like the allergy response, right? You get the upper airway congestion. You can get watery eyes, runny nose, post-nasal drip. You can get that. You can get stomach pain, stomach pain and bloating. That happens with poor histamine metabolism in the gut. You see that a lot. Bladder irritation, bladder dysfunction. That can be a histamine problem. Um, rashes, hives, redness, flushing, skin-related issues. One of the big ones, though, is anxiety. Yes. Y- your resting level of histamine, if it's too high, your tendency towards anxiety is going to go up too. And I probably see that... That's probably the biggest one that I see with this mast cell stuff is because you've got a ton of mast cells in your hypothalamus in your brain. And if those are pumping out histamine, you're going to be dysregulated, not only from an anxiety standpoint, but that's also all of the autonomic stuff in your brain. You know, the control of your heart and your lungs and your temperature regulation, your sweating regulation, all of that. So that that all goes together. The last one I always look for is exercise intolerance. People who exercise and they feel like they got run over, sometimes that's a histamine problem too.
1: Yes, and one of my favorites is, because um, uh, I like asking this question because I always they always either have the deer in headlights look mm-hmm. afterwards or they're like, how did you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I ask them if they tolerate leftovers. Yes. And yes, that's exactly. one of my favorite questions to ask because uh, a lot of people who have histamine problems don't tolerate Leftovers, because a lot of food, not all food, but a lot of food, histamines will build the longer it's been sitting. Mm -hmm. So if you eat leftovers and you love leftovers and there's no physiologic consequence, that's a good sign that you're probably doing okay. But if you can't tolerate leftovers... Um, that's a sign that potential potentially you've got some histamine that, challenges. That can be a really hard thing to track down for people because
2: they'll say, "Well, I can't figure out because one time I ate this food and it was fine, and then I ate it later and it didn't seem to be." It's like, "Well, how long was it sitting in the fridge?" Yes, when you ate it that second time.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll get to the the whole mast cell stuff, but uh, that does fit in with the allergic response and. And again, I want to say this because we just had this uh, brief conversation at our meeting this morning. We were talking about some autoimmune scenarios. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to dysregulation of your immune system, a hyperallergic response is a non-functioning immune system response. So is autoimmune. So we're going to lump them both into the confused immune system. So what's causing the confusion? And I'm just going to say this again. When you have masses of... Mass amount of stress in your life that dampens your immune system response and confuses it. If, if you sleep deprive anyone, their immune system becomes more unfunctional, more dysfunctional and can make uh, some uh, mistakes, actually. Yeah. And so uh, our stress and our sleep, our peace of mind is so crucial walking through a stressful season like we have the last two years. Mm-hmm. To actually – that's that's a part of the solution. It should be talked about much more than it is because how how cheap is it to sleep, <laughs> right? Yes. Or how expensive is it to Makes sleep? It, yeah. Yes. It's Sounds cheap. Hard, it, yeah. right? <laughs> we, should, we should be doing these things that are very cost-effective, labor-easy. I don't know how you say that, but uh, just <laughs> – you doing those things that are in our control yeah these issues always spiral
2: for people we get the snowball effect of they have some pre-existing stressor or stressors in their life they have covid or something like that that's a stressor itself and i've seen this actually for the people that probably fare i don't want to say the worst but the, where it the, takes the longest to get over these issues it's pre-existing often but ongoing anxiety poor sleep poor habits and kind of spiral down and down and down because those compound on each other yes. or if that can just be controlled then it's easier said
1: than done. But we focus on that. Yeah. It's important for everyone listening to, to work on your foundational stuff that helps your immune system. Sleep and stress management is a big part of that. Yeah. When you can get on top of that, knowing that there are things that are insulting that like, like histamine imbalances due to, uh, immune responses from COVID or from vaccines or from many other things in life. Uh, it's important to actually do your best to identify it, but, but focus on the foundational stuff. Listen to your body. Having awareness is crucial. I, I wrote a book 21 years ago. The first chapter was called awareness that hasn't changed in 21 years of practicing. That's what I focus on with, with patients is build building foundational um, uh, components to their health program, we, we run programs here, and they're four months, six months, nine months, 12-month month programs. And I tell people, go through the program to learn about you because that's number one. It doesn't matter if you have good or bad outcomes. Learn it so that you can then say, okay, this works for me. This does not work for me. Mm-hmm. There is gold in that knowledge. That is the biggest thing I always tell people, to come out of the program I don't want you to just feel better. I want you to know what to do for yourself for the rest of your life. Yeah. Teaching them how to problem solve for themselves by teaching them how to be aware of what's happening within their body. Mm-hmm. It's crucial.
2: Yep. Our job isn't to
1: cure people. It's to help people cure themselves. Yes, yeah, <laughs> exactly. That, and to keep them healthy. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. It, we All we do is help remove the things that block the, the, the normal communication to help the innate healing response. That's basically it. Yep. Simple job. I've I've told you forever. You have such a simple job, Doctor yep. Josh. <laughs> <laughs> it sometimes feels that
2: way, and not always. <laughs> I feel like we didn't do enough on the cardiovascular piece. We kind of we can go back to that. that. I, yeah. I'd like to talk a little bit about how we look for that. I know we've mentioned yes. it, but the whole clotting D dimer stuff. Sure, I think that's worth it because b- because we see that crop up in people. I think it's worth telling people what to expect because you had a patient where it wasn't necessarily right after the vaccine. It was kind of a slow build in this clotting problem. It was four months, months four you know, months, months later, later. after,
1: yeah. after the vaccine. And so the, the size of the clot took a while to, mm-hmm. to develop very, very lucky to be alive Yes. Um, when they get that big. But uh, yeah, it can take uh, uh, months afterwards and that's true for COVID too.
2: Yeah, 20, I saw a statistic and I'd, I'll have to find that for you, Marquis, to put on, put on our website, but it's 25% of people after having COVID. This was COVID, not the vaccine, but 25% of people after COVID are going to have an increased tendency towards clotting for three to four months. Now, some people have it longer. Some people won't, but that's, this is a, this is the normal end stage issue for COVID and vaccines is the clotting issue. That's part of the inflammation. It's part of all this, but the clotting is a big driver in symptoms. I've had people where we check the D-dimer marker, and even if they don't have clotting symptoms, we still do things to you know manage that. And a lot of their symptoms go down just from a reduction in that
1: alone. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm, I'm going to say this. I know we already did a, a podcast on um, um, vaccines and some of the, the data that's missing, but if you're a medical professional and you're listening to this, you're working in a hospital, I'm going to say this too. We are getting patients that are coming in saying that their clotting issues were not related to their vaccine injury. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to say this to the medical doctors listening out there. You don't know that it has to be on the list of things to investigate because, uh, if you're investigating COVID causing clotting issues, which is, which you have to, that is definitely a thing. You have to investigate the vaccine causing clotting issues. I understand the, um, there is a push to, to not create vaccine hesitancy but there's also a duty to create vaccine hesitancy when it's a real thing and so that is very very important because I truthfully myself I'm pretty upset at what I'm hearing my patients relay to me with their experiences and if you want to continue to treat people and have them trust you it's important for you to look at all aspects and that's not happening. And I think that's one of the reasons mm-hmm. why we're maybe seeing more COVID patients, because many of them have lost trust in their doctors simply because the doctors wouldn't look at the component of the vaccine potentially causing harm. It's not a miracle thing that just can't cause harm. Mm-hmm. COVID's not something that doesn't cause harm. They both can cause harm. Yeah. so don't dismiss it if you're a medical professional I just want you to do a check check in on your integrity on, on being there for the patient and do some due diligence because the science is pretty clear right now that we are seeing complications from both and so that's just a personal soapbox I gotta get off of it but uh, <laughs> uh, it, two weeks of having that conversation with patients having them cry in my office mm-hmm. you just it, it, it becomes too much when it comes to just helping people, and our, we have a lot of good people in the healthcare profession—doctors and nurses—that can really do good things. But don't dismiss patients like that. They—they they just you lose their trust. And I'm saying this for the doctors, yeah. so that they can keep their patients and do good things for them later. Yeah. All right.
2: Let's move to the next one or the last one, really—the ACE or ACE2 receptor issues. So. I'll let you tee that one off too.
1: So there's a lot. There's ACE receptors in different areas of the body, and just like the uh, toll-like response with the uh, the vaccines, COVID can induce a uh, cytokine uh, uh, toll-like response inside the body once it breaches certain barriers. And we have ACE receptors in a lot of different areas in the lung tissue, in our cardiovascular lining, in our GI tract, and so a lot of times people will. Have complications from COVID, long haul complications from COVID, uh, or even the vaccine. One of them, one of the easier ones to observe is colitis. Mm Um, uh, we can see people post-COVID coming up with colitis for the first time, uh, or the uh vaccine coming with colitis for the first time. I will mention this too. I'm gonna I'm gonna say it um because it's very interesting. We've had patients who have gotten COVID and they're their disorders have improved. One was an autoimmune patient. We were just discerning through that this yeah, morning. Yeah. And another one was one of my ulcerative colitis patients um, actually improved with COVID. So uh, that tells us, that's just another clue and signal that COVID upregulated a part of their immune system response that had a net impact. Yeah. And so we're discerning through that right now. And uh, for one of them, we think it was an, actually an autoimmune scenario. For the other one, it actually could be a body temperature hypothalamic scenario like we talked yeah. about earlier. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're discerning through that, and that's uh, stuff that uh, um, is important. And that's why, again, to the other comment about the doctors, everything's kind of a neutral event. You, gotta, you have to just take the information you've got and, and make sense of it with that person when you do that then, then you come to solutions. And we believe here at Snaps there is a solution to every problem. I mean, they've got matter and now they have antimatter. So if you've, if you, if you've got that, you know, you've got a problem and a solution. It's impossible. <laughs> To not have one without the other. I was wondering where you, where you were going with that. Yeah. <laughs> um, I do want to say,
2: if you have autoimmune, don't go out and get COVID just to see if it right, works. Yeah, no. no there no. are ways of doing that without getting COVID. Yes. Very exactly. good. <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah. That is not a treatment recommendation. No.
1: <laughs> um, so the ACE receptors, yeah. what else would you have to say on that as yeah. far as
2: the... So what I've used, there's there's a couple different herbal strategies that you can do to both protect those receptors and actually increase those receptors. Because when you have both the virus and if you've got spike proteins circulating after a vaccine, that's where those attach onto those ACE2 receptors. That's going to decrease the amount of those receptors present, which has a net negative impact on the physiology of that area. Yes, And I've had a couple of instances with, it was similar, it was digestive stuff, post-COVID and... One girl in particular, all we had to do was pretty, pretty reasonable low doses of these herbs to try to dampen this exact thing where you, where you reduce the inflammation with these herbs, you actually increase the receptors so that they can respond normally and all of the digestive stuff went away. Now she was lucky to be young and healthy and didn't have any of these other complications, but yeah. discerning through if that's the big issue, there are ways to, to
1: directly tackle that. Yeah. What types of uh, herbals were you using? And then I have. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about melatonin
2: mm-hmm. in that same light. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are a lot of herbs in this category. I can't promise to remember them all. Um, uh, Stephen Buhner is an herbalist that has good information on this. That's where I pull a lot yes. of information. But uh, even, and it's not all directly from him, because some of what we've done is we've taken research in other areas saying, what's the type of inflammation that occurs during COVID or after COVID? And instead of looking for, pharmaceutical agents that are going to combat that we'll look at natural agents that are that will combat that so i know one of the things that we did with one type of inflammation we have a brain i think it's a brain support product that has some of these nutrients yes yeah. and we weren't using it for the brain we we're using it for another area of the body to reduce that inflammation and it worked because they're going after the the covid covid related inflammation so that my favorites are red sage which is also called dan shen um, chinese skull cap is a big one licorice uh, something called Isatis. It gets kind of, you can get into the weeds on that. Yeah. I
1: just, but I just want to hear Dr. Josh pronounce all of them because I read them <laughs> and I don't know if there's anyone else out there like this, but you read through some medical literature and you, you say a word and in your head, you say it this a certain way for like 20 years. And all of a sudden yeah. you hear someone say it the right way. and You're like, huh, yeah. that's not how I pronounce it in my head. It's all about time. pronouncing it with confidence. It doesn't yes. matter if you say it correctly or not. Cause I don't know if I'm saying it right. Yeah. <laughs> just remember that when it comes to the herbal names and, uh, <laughs> things like that, uh, uh, here we have a, also have a saying excellence without ego, so that's why we we also will laugh at ourselves too, uh, when it comes to stuff like that because we'll throw out some gems during some of our meetings where someone just mispronounces something and yep. we have no problem pointing it out to them in the in the moment and <laughs> yeah, <absolutely. laughs> talking about. It. But uh, yeah, the the herbal components of this are very very uh, important, and there's a lot of good people doing a lot of good work. And again, same thing risk reward. Mm-hmm. There are some risks with some herbals uh, with interactions with medications, uh, which you can easily look up. But when it comes to risk-reward and stuff that's proven, there's a lot out there. Do do your work, do your uh, research, uh, and there's a lot you can do. I've also found with one of the strongest antioxidants in the body um, is melatonin. And melatonin is something we produce when we're young very, very well. And there's a lot of benefit to melatonin. And, uh, when it comes to the infection itself and just the health of a lot of our receptors in the body. Mm-hmm. And so uh, this is one of the reasons why we speculate that, uh, younger kids, other than a more robust immune system response, um, and when they're a little older, but even the, the really young kids, they produce a lot of melatonin and that by itself seems to be helping, mm-hmm. uh, quite a bit. It's, it's basically, um, uh, with no comorbidities there really isn't a death consequence with uh with the young so the melatonin a big part of that and guess what decreases melatonin as we age stress and infections sleeping, right? yeah. and inflammation yeah. so if we just worked on stress <laughs> infections and inflammation we'd get into deeper sleep produce more melatonin and help fight off stress <laughs> infections yeah. And inflammation. Yes. It's amazing how that comes back to, uh, on itself. So those basics, again, can help quite a bit. This is why melatonin in our protocol. <laughs> this is why melatonin is actually in our protocol. Right, yes. Exactly. All right. All right. So let's go get back to some of the clotting um, uh, issues and some of the cardiovascular components because this is what people will see um, sooner. And this is what if you do some uh, digging into a lot of the injuries – with athletes, there's, there's hundreds of videos of athletes um, uh, having issues with their heart and cardiovascular system post COVID and also um, post vaccine. So uh, you can, you can look into those scenarios, but why, why are we seeing so much of the, the, the clotting uh, and cardiovascular stuff?
2: Well, we see it more in young people too. There seems to be an inverse age relationship where people who are older tend to do worse with covid it seems like people who are younger who typically fare better with covid are doing worse with the vaccines and that there's a reason why certain european countries have said if you're a guy under 30 don't take certain vaccines because of the cardiovascular risk yeah it's a, there are certain again this kind of boils down to receptors and where the inflammation goes but it's not uncommon to get the inflammation in the heart after both, after both COVID and the vaccine, right? It's it's a normal mechanism for how the inflammation of this process works. Yeah. Um, but for, risk reward
1: again. Oh yeah.
2: And so again, for a, for a healthy younger person, uh, it's, it's not to say that you can't get this problem with COVID. It's just that you have several protective barriers until you get yes. the inflammation into the
1: heart versus a vaccine where it's there a little bit quicker. And I want to talk about those barriers because this is the key. So, uh, this is something that I'm just going to comment on, on physiology and how the human body works versus COVID specific, but as we age, again, we're more prone to stress, we're more prone to infections and inflammation. We basically wear our life on our shoulders, or we basically, you know, you, you bear the scars of life. So there, there's a wear and tear scenario going on here. If you have a nerve that's firing to a muscle, and that muscle's working, you go to the gym, that muscle gets big. If that nerve gets severed for whatever reason, you end up getting atrophy to that muscle, it just shrinks away. Mm-hmm our barrier systems have a component of muscle to them. So this is the analogy I give to my patients to teach them about why this paradoxical reaction is happening. As we age, we lose our barrier systems. The more stress we have, we lose our barrier systems. So our brain stops supporting our barrier systems. So I'll say it a different way. Uh, Our vagus nerve Supports all of our lungs, our our liver, all of our organs, basically. That's part of that hypothalamus uh, fight-or-flight autonomic nervous system we are talking about. If you're in fight-or-flight, you can't be in rest and digest. And what that means is if you're in a chronic stress state, you're going to induce lack of nerve support to our our organs. Mm. The perfect example, an ulcer. If someone has high, high stress, you literally develop a hole in your barrier system, in your digestive system, called an ulcer. And so as we age, we have more stress that accumulates. Uh, we have more inflammation that accumulates. And so we end up into in this fight-or-flight state versus rest and digest. So we slowly have this decreased support of our muscles, if you will, or our barrier systems. So they shrink. They literally shrink in size. You see the cells, and when we're babies, they're like big grapes. And when you age, they become raisins. And that's our barrier system. So as we get people out of fight or flight and into a rest and digest state, it actually helps with their barrier systems. So when you're in your 70s and you have COVID, it's more likely for COVID to get through that barrier system and cause complications. When you're young, your barrier systems are good. So COVID doesn't have that impact. But when you get the Injection of the vaccine when you're young, you've already bypassed the barrier systems. So now your risk goes up because your barrier systems have been breached and now you're at the same place that the elderly person was uh, with COVID. So I hope that makes sense for that analogy. I'm using my hands to describe everything that I'm doing <laughs> so you guys can see it. Which makes for great yeah. podcasts, great radio. Maybe we'll do video one day, but that yeah. means I have to shower, or keep my hat on. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, you don't want to see me right now. Josh. Josh is our, uh, our main researcher. So on his research days, he comes in with his ball cap and and uh, crazy hair. Yep. And today <laughs> is that day. Yep. Yep. All right. Uh, anything else just to, uh, finish up on here with, uh, vaccine injury, COVID complications? I've got one, yeah, one comment. I think
2: it's worth noting kind of our process with the, well, the process is really similar, both the vaccine injury and the post COVID where it's kind of a two step process in a way yes. where we have both, we have to make sure that there's no continuation of Inflammation going on from either COVID or or the vaccine, which can be done through a variety of ways, and then we also have to repair the damage caused by it. Yes, you have to do both. You can't just get rid of the inflammation and then ignore the damage. It's. I always tell people it's like having a fire in a building, right? First, you have to put the fire out. Yes, you can't start to rebuild if there's still a fire. And then once you put the fire out, you can't just leave it. You have to
1: rebuild it, too. So it's those two components together. Yeah, I'm really glad you brought that up because right now, one of the differences I'm seeing this year with COVID is it's lasting a little longer for, for people. Yep. And uh, I want people to hear this. The majority of the time uh, that we've been treating with people, um, by the time you get to day 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, the majority of people, not all, but the majority will have actually overcome the virus itself at this point Hmm. and the majority of why they feel lousy still is the damage the cleanup and the the cleanup is not being addressed properly and many times we'll go in and start working with these people and we have to do some digestive work and some some other cleanup issues to get them feeling better so pay attention to your oxygen Uh, we are seeing more pneumonia um, I am personally mm-hmm. more pneumonia with my patients. So I want to make a comment on that because that's a consequence again. And so a lot of times I just had a consult this morning with uh, a patient and the, uh, based on um, the reports, it looked like the virus was taken care of, but the pneumonia was starting to take hold. And that is what had to be the focus. And they were given an alternative path. I'm going to say that was all viral focus um, by their their other practitioner. And so I was of uh, the mindset that everything was pointing towards the bacterial pneumonia causing the symptoms. And so that is stuff that I want people to really hear is that the cleanup, when you get to a certain point, it's really the cleanup. You still have to pay attention to a lot of the factors of, uh, of uh, the oxygen, the fevers, things like that. But um, uh, the cleanup can be uh, something that just gets missed in this whole scenario. And, Uh, I'm just going to say it this way. It's good to have protocols, but you have to look at the patient. You have to look at yourself to understand when you need to course correct within that protocol. Because protocols are just an, an outline, a summary of the most likely thing. But the more you know you and what's going on, the more you can course correct and make the right next best decision. Like in this case, yeah. going after the pneumonia and uh, using an antibiotic versus an antiviral uh, is a game changer, mm-hmm. which is the direction they decided uh, to go with, with their other doctor. So with the with the, our doctors right here.
2: Yeah. I tell all of my COVID patients, we split this into two sections. You've got the immune boosting antiviral portion, which yeah. is basically the first week. Where, for instance, I tell them, if you don't have a crazy high fever, let yourself have the fever because yes. you're going to reduce virus. We're going to try to stimulate the immune system in a way that we can because you actually want some inflammation at that yes. point. You do want it. So that's why you don't want to just, you know, not have a fever. It doesn't feel great. But you want to be able to ride that out. Yes. But then once, like you said, kind of at that week to two week mark, you gotta to transition to anti inflammatory and cleanup. You're not fighting the virus anymore. Yeah. So I always for my patients that I talk to, I always try to get a follow-up call or something at that week mark to say, all right. Where are we? What do we yes. have to change directions towards? And that's critical because most people don't even get to the hospital until they're if they're going to go to the hospital, right? It's oh. always at that kind of two week mark. They've mm-hmm. blown past every opportunity to
1: to go through those couple phases. Yes, and doing this well and doing it doing it right and doing it well mm-hmm. can keep people out of the hospital so they don't get overloaded, overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. It, they it really can. Yeah. So yeah, all right. That was, that was good. I uh, appreciate uh, everyone listening. I appreciate uh, my uh, colleagues here at the table and uh, looking forward to our next podcast. Yeah. I want to say one
2: thing quick. I've had a lot of patients say that they've been sending this podcast out, referring it to other people. Thank you for doing that. We do appreciate Absolutely. it. I think this is information that a lot of people need to hear. Yes. And it's valuable. And so, th- again, for, for all of us here at the clinic, we do
1: appreciate that. Take care, guys, and uh, stay healthy, stay safe.
0: Thank you for listening to the Synapse Nips Podcast. If you like what you heard, subscribe to the podcast and share the podcast. To learn more, check out our website at www.officialsynapse.com. Until next time, this has been Synapse Nips Podcast. We'll see you on the next episode. This podcast is for information purposes only and should under no circumstances be considered medical advice or substitute for medical care. Any information given in this podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease and is at the user's own risk. Please first consult a licensed healthcare professional.